Hi. Hey, welcome. To Crime and Time. On the rocks. But we're not on the rocks. Again. We're in the bottle. We're in a bottle. I'm super excited about this bottle. So, yeah, we're, we each have a bottle here. This is my favorite Mexican beer. Yeah. So, we're drinking Sol. I discovered Sol when I was in Mexico in 1990. I'm not going to tell you. And I literally took one of the labels off of the beer and put it in my Mickey Mouse purse, which I was carrying at the time, and it stayed there for years. I love this beer. I will say that these have um, imprinted labels. They're not like paper labels, which is kind of cool. If you have a glass cutter, you can make yourself some like little juice glasses out of them or something. Yes, they're painted on the glass, which yeah. is really actually really cool. I kind of want to make glasses out of them. Um, but... I love Soul. When we go out, if I cannot get a Soul, I'll drink a Pacifico. And if I can't get that, I'll drink a margarita. So I haven't had a Soul <laughs> in the United States. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, I love Soul. So this is my first stateside Soul. I can't imagine that it's different, though. Me neither, but let's try it. Other than the fact that we're not on a beach. Yeah. It is sunny out, though, so that it helps. Is, but we're not outside yet. Let's we try it. We finish recording and then go outside. Just like I remembered. So yummy. Yeah. It's so yummy. It's just, it's a taste of summer. It is totally a taste of summer. This needs to be, this is a summer drink. So is your story a taste of summer? Kinda. Really? It's a taste of the sun. Okay. okay. I like that. So my story, so we're drinking a Mexican beer. I seriously thought about doing something Aztec Inca Mayan. Which is totally in my wheelhouse. I love. Right. Which love. is why I did not do it. Because you are the expert there, and I would fall because I can Because short. I can pronounce Quetzalcoatl. And I can't. <laughs> Not that I'm going to be able to pronounce any of the names of the things that I chose. But I went a completely different direction, and I'm going to be telling you about the goddess Sol and her brother Manny from Norse mythology. No idea what this is even about. I'm super excited. Okay. I heard you and the children talking about Norse stuff <sighs> earlier, but it was very vague and I didn't know that it was about well, your story. Here's the thing. So Roman, child number one is ridiculously obsessed with Greek mythology. Thank you, Rick Riordan and Percy Jackson. She minimally likes Roman mythology. So I She knew, did say it was weird earlier. Yes. I knew that there were multiple gods named Sol in Roman mythology. Apparently one of them no one cared about, and apparently the other one was like this huge thing, and he was worshipped, and he had like a festival and a thing and a temple and blah, blah, blah. But I asked her to do that, and I was going to do Sol and Mani. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I have no idea. And she tried and then said she quit. So here's your lesson on Roman mythology, Sol. Apparently there's four gods, she thinks... One was important, one wasn't, and then two more appeared. That was what I got from child number one. So there's your quick history lesson <laughs> on Roman mythology. Moving right along. Yes. So for Sol, the Norse goddess, I got this information ironically from a website called North Norse mythology, mythology for Smart People. And you use that? I was allowed <laughs> to get in. I'm really surprised they did not have an IQ test. I'm um, also mythology.net and mythology wiki and God Checker and Yadalar Yed Norse gods. Cool. So there's a few stories about the Norse goddess soul. 
First story, she and her brother Manny emerged fully formed as the cosmos began and was created. And they were not really sure what their role was, what their powers were, or what place they needed to have in the universe. So <clears throat> all of the rest of the gods met and decided that they would create different parts to the day and different parts to the year and different phases to the moon. And that Sol should go to work driving the sun chariot and Manny should go to work driving the moon chariot. So the gods went to the land of fire. There were nine lands and Sol was worshiped in all nine lands. But so the gods went to the land of fire, which was Mushepelshi, M-U-S-P-E-L-L-S-H-E, I-M, Meshepelium. Got it. And they got sparks from the fire giants and they used that to form the sun orb. And they put the sun orb in a chariot that was drawn by two horses, Arvkar, which meant early riser, and Alsvar, which meant swift. And together, these two horses and soul drove the sun across the sky each day, and her brother Manny drove the moon. Now, nowhere that I found told where Manny's moon came from or what horses Manny was using. He probably just had like a moped maybe maybe but uh, you know with all of the like extra that the dudes get in greek and roman mythology i'm fine that the chick is getting extra here so the stories about her family vary too um some stories say that their father was mandali fari m-u-n-d-i-l-f-a-r-i was also a timekeeper god uh, his name actually means the one who moves according to particular times. Other stories say that he was a giant. Um, sometimes there is a sister, Synthgert, Synthgert, and she, Gert, Gert S-I-N-T-H-G-U-N-T. Gunt? I don't know. Synthgunt. Um, yeah, I'm not Swedish. So she is the goddess of the flow of time and the shifting of power. Um, the goddesses or the goddess of the star of Venus in some stories. And in other stories, this this person, this personage, Synthgert, is also her daughter. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it goes back and forth. The second story of how Sol and Manny came into existence is um, found in the Prose Edda. There are two prose, prose Edda and prose something else, and I didn't write that down, um, which are writings from a Norse um, myth historian during the medieval period. And his name was um, Snorri Sturlinson. Snorri? S-N-O-R-R-I. Snorri. That's a cute name. Sturlinson. And he um, was a medieval historian, and he wrote these stories but a lot of people speculated that he made up things that he didn't know for sure oh interesting yeah so one of the stories that he tells about soul and manny is that they were born to this same father um mandalfari mandalfari and he father thought his children were so beautiful Oh, my daughter's so beautiful. My son is so beautiful. I'm going to name them Sol and Manny after the sun and the moon. And the gods didn't like that. 
they said, ah, you know what? You can't really do that. Yeah, you're kind of arrogant. How kind of how dare you name your children after these celestial beings? So they sent him Soul to ride the Sun Chariot, and they sent us Manny to ride the Moon Chariot um, across the sky forever. So one of the reasons that Soul rides so quickly through the sky, because 12 hours goes fast, um, is because she's being chased by wolves. Skull. Which, sky wolves. Yes, sky wolves. She's being chased by sky wolves. It's bad. It's a bad situation. That's bad. Yes. Their names are horrible as well. One is named Skull, which means mockery. And the other is named Haiti, which means hate. So she's literally being chased by mockery and hate as she rides across the sky every day. And she's sentenced to this forever. For getting named by her father. Yes. Because she was pretty. Well, that's just tragic. It is. It's horrible. Um, they, during the darker times of the year, the wolves are closer and ride on her heels. And when there is a solar eclipse, the wolves have nipped at her heels or are almost ready to overtake her. Ooh. Yeah. So they had an answer for everything. Um, in one of the poems in the Poetic Etica, they have a passage, says that she has a passenger on her chariot, which is a person, they don't tell whether to hear her, named Savlin, S-V-A-L-I-N-N, whose job is it to hold a shield between the earth and the fire orb that is the sun, otherwise the earth would burn up. So they have to hold this shield to like protect the earth from the intense rays of the fire orb that is in the chariot. I'm trying to grasp like how scientifically that's working. It's not. Yeah. Because, you know, it's 112 degrees outside right now. Even though this may be released in winter, it's being recorded in summer. So <laughs> it's hot. Um, I didn't find a ton of stories about Seoul. Um, there is one where she and her sister, Synth Gert, Gert um, send, sing charms to Baldur's foal who had stepped in a hole and sprained his foot. And by singing charms to the foal, they were able to heal his foot. And he, so they call it the horse charm. I don't get it. I don't, Norse mythology is different. Yeah, it's different. Like I'm trying to relate it and it's different. So some stories have soul married to a man named Glenner and whose name means opening of the clouds. And um, during Ragnarok, which you've heard of Ragnarok, right? Yeah. Okay. So that is like the twilight of the gods, the end of the earth, when everything is going to come to an end. Um, the soul is going to be overtaken by Skull, and the sun and the earth both get submerged into the water, and there are a ton of battles and a bunch of natural disasters, and only a handful of humans and gods survive. Once there's a new world, soul is going to have a baby, and the baby's name will be soul or suna and she will shine brighter than her mother did so she literally gives birth to the sun yes she is the sun and she gives birth to the sun so there's a lot of speculation that she is similar to the persian story of the phoenix okay and um soul was worshipped by all of the norse people some of the germanic people some of the um celtic people some the celtic people called her sulis she was the goddess who presided over the thermal springs for the Celtics. She has similarities to Amertasu, who 
who is the sun god of Japan, and I already mentioned the phoenix from Persia. Some scholars draw parallels to her and the Surrey, which is the Hindu sun goddess. Um, most felt that her race across the sky, most felt that she felt her race across the sky was like a fun game, and she was just having fun being chased by these wolves until Ragnarok and they caught her. Um, the idea of the sun being a chariot racing across the sky is very common in many, many mytho mythological stories. In Norse and Germanic history, um, rock carvings and Scandinavian artifacts dating back to the Bronze Age have the theme of the sun being a something in a chariot being pulled by horses. So I heard an interesting fact uh -huh. today. Today? Today about chariots. Well, not about chariots, but involving chariots. Okay. So adjusted for inflation, the number one top paid sports person ever was uh -huh. a chariot um, racer. Oh, I fully believe it. They would fall off and die. But... I mean, you're talking every single person was modern because of endorsements and everything. Like, uh -huh. number two was Michael Jordan. Number three was Tiger Woods. Like, it's all these modern people, except for number one was this one chariot guy. Like, one particular chariot one guy per or chariot guys in general? One particular chariot guy. Okay, that's bizarre. Yeah. I don't know how one particular guy could outshine Jordan. Like, his... Like, his, Jordan his, shoes. Hello. Yeah, his adjusted amount was something like... 80 billion dollars of that's insane yeah. where in the world did you hear this i want to listen to whatever it is that you heard this i on. heard it on the armstrong and getty show which could not have been from oh today is friday it could have been from today it was probably i didn't go to work today yeah. so i didn't hear it it was probably from earlier in the week because i was podcasting it i need to go back and hear that yeah interesting that's really interesting it's, i've not heard anything about that that's really interesting um, but anyway, so they found art depicting this. They, in Denmark, there is a sculpture from the Bronze Age of a horse. It's beautiful. I saw a picture. It's a horse drawing a chariot, and it's got an orb that looks like the earth, like it's got continents on it, and the thing is literally glowing. Oh, that'd be cool. And I don't know if it was lit from underneath. I don't know, because I literally just saw a picture of it on the internet, but... It was glowing, and I want to know how and why the thing was glowing. Yeah, what made um, it glow? Yes, what made it glow? So anyway, in Morseburg, in Merseburg incantations, the oldest for known writings from the Germanic pagan religion, there was written an old in Old High German a there was a mention of soul as a deity, and she was honored for her protection and victory. She was also apparently a healer, and the name Sunday comes from her name. Oh, huh. In Norway, when they have the um, 10 weeks of full sun, yeah. they still say to this day that that is soul emphasizing her power. So, yeah, she's yeah. still there. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, just because, you know, a lot of people know Roman mythology, not a lot of people in the Norse mythology, and she like popped up pretty soon on my research, and I just thought it was neat. That's I cool. watched the show Vikings, and I thought it was cool. 
I have not watched the show Vikings, but I still think it's, it's cool. It's really good. It's a lot of blood. I really tried to watch it. It was just a lot for me. It's a lot of blood. I have a secret crush on Travis Rimmel, which I guess is not so secret anymore. But so that's yeah, I've heard part this. Of why I I've heard it. this. I know. And then I showed my sister in law a picture of him, and she goes, "Yeah, that's your type. He looks like my brother." And I'm like, shut up! And you said the same thing. I've showed you pictures uh-huh. of different guys yeah. that I thought were hot. And you're like, yeah, that looks like your husband. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> Just give up. <laughs> I have a type. Anyway, tell me what you're going to tell me. So I'm going to tell you how I related a child abduction. Okay. Uh, a murderer and my trip to Whole Foods to Seoul. <laughs> Okay, the part of that that I find most intriguing is how you relate your trip to Whole Foods to a murderer and a child abduction. It all revolves... And it all relates to soul. It all, re, it all revolves around okay. the hook that I will get to. Soul or the sun? Soul. Soul, okay. So maybe like the legit beer that we're drinking. Not the beer, but okay. beer's involved in my trip to Whole Foods. So we'll get there, we'll get there. <laughs> Okay, tell me, tell me, tell me. So I'm going to start in Merced, California. Mm-hmm. So if you've not been to Merced, okay. it's in the Central Valley. It's a farming community. Yep. It's kind of not too, there's not it's a lot so of easy. zazzle to it. No, it's Merced. But it is the gateway to Yosemite. I've never been to Yosemite. Oh, you're missing out. I know. We need to go camping. So in 1972... Hey, I know things that happened in uh-huh. 1972. There was a family that lived in Merced. They were lived in a middle-class neighborhood. and My family lived in Hawaii. They were called the Stainers. Okay. Oh, wow. So the oldest of five children was Carrie, a boy, and he had a brother, Stephen, and they had three sisters. Okay. So also about two hours away in Yosemite was a man named Ken, Kenneth no, Parnell. No, 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 no. I've heard this story. Oh my gosh, I remember this story. Yeah, everyone does. So Kenneth Parnell, who oh, this is lived tragic. near Yosemite, he um, was working at a lodge in Yosemite. He was a previously... Sick fuck. Yeah. Sorry. He was a previously convicted child molester, but he was able to get a job in Yosemite because in 72, they just needed people to work there. Right. So they didn't care what and you did. And they didn't have the internet. They didn't and, have the, yeah. you know, keeping track of shit. Mm-hmm. And there was no, like, sex, sex offender registry or anything like oh that. Oh, my goodness. I'm cringing. I'm sorry. I'm cringing. Yosemite was a pretty remote area, so it was a pretty good place for people that wanted to get away from things. Yeah. So Kenneth being who he was, decided that he was going to... A ad- sick fuck. Yeah. He was going to abduct a young boy. Why not? So he talked to a coworker of his, and he was just like, hey, would you like, me, would you like to help me ad- abduct a boy? He seriously asked a coworker, would you like to help me abduct a child? I don't know that that's the words he used, but he did convince a coworker the, to help him do... The, the action still happens. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So on December 4th of that year... They both drove to Merced, and they started looking for a boy. Oh, my God. Well, it wasn't long before a seven-year-old... How does that conversation happen? What is going on in the car? I know. I always wonder that. Like, hey, so I have this idea. Hey, that kid looks good. What do you think? Do you want to go to Merced and help me abduct a boy? That's insanity. Mm Mm-hmm. So, anyway, it wasn't long before seven-year-old Steven Stainer was walking home from school alone. Oh, my God. 
when he was approached by the coworker whose last name was Murphy. So Murphy was talking to him and pretty much convinced him to get in the car with Parnell and drive to supposedly back to the Stainer house to talk to their to talk to the mom about something churchy. I can't remember if it was like just some random dude approaches you on the street and says, "Hey, let's go back to your house and talk to your mom about the church." Yes. That's how it happened. So Stephen got in. He thought he'd be driven home, but they drove past his home. Of course they did. So Parnell ended up driving up to a payphone, and he got out, pretended to make a call, and when he got back in the car, he told Stephen that, hey, I just I just talked to your parents, and they don't want you anymore, so <gasps> you're going to be my son. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I didn't know they did that to him. Mm-hmm. So... And how do they know? Well, you'll tell me later, I'm assuming, how they know that they did that to him. Yeah, I'll tell you. Okay. So anyway, the story of Stephen's abduction is also what started the story of what we know to be Carrie Stainer. Yeah. So obviously the Stainer family was just like completely rocked. Uh, the father, Dell, was crushed and the mother, Kay, became extremely distant. Well, what happened to Stephen? I'm, I'll get there. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. So they both ended up kind of becoming very shut off and very cold to their other children. Carrie, they believe, probably felt a lot of guilt because he was supposed to be with Stephen that day. And after the fact, he stated that he felt abandoned and neglected by his parents. Poor baby. Yeah. So we're talking more than just one victim here. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It affects an entire family, everything. So Parnell ended up taking Stephen back to where he was staying at Yosemite for a couple weeks. And then after that, he started staying in like all these random motels and other spots like trailers and abandoned homes across like California. They kept him alive for that long? Yeah. Yeah. So even like once it was spring or once it was fall again, Parnell even enrolled Stephen in school. And they um, used the name Dennis Parnell. And the school at that point didn't request records because it was the 70s. And they just went on the word that the records would be coming. Oh my goodness. I had no idea. I thought he was like murdered instantly. No. You don't know the story at all. I apparently don't know the story at all. I thought he was just murdered instantly. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. No. He lived as his child. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that was, yeah. That was in 72. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to try and shut up and listen, but I'm not cuz So, mean. in 1976, 4 years later, 1976. Mhm. Parnell and Stephen ended up moving to this tiny town near Mendocino, California. What is the name of it? Casper? No, it was like Coche or I I can't pronounce it. It's something very weird to say. Okay. Yeah. So every day, Stephen had to take a 30-minute bus ride to school. He went to school in Mendocino, and he was allowed to do that. Wow. And he was given actually a lot of freedom because Parnell believed but by, by this time that Stephen wasn't going to go anywhere. Okay. He's in school in Mendocino in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. I'm visiting my grandparents in Fort Bragg in the 70s. Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. insane. So meanwhile, around the same time, Carrie was a senior in high school in Merced. 
He was known at school for being a really good cartoonist. Like he, they showed pictures of, oh, I'll mention that I did watch a 2020 episode about this whole story. Oh. And um, I'll, I also looked at an LA Times article. That's where I got mostly everything. But on the um, 2020 episode, they showed like some cartoons that he had drawn. And he actually really was like a really talented cartoonist. Uh-huh. And he was voted most creative in his senior yearbook. Another thing about Carrie is that he always wore a hat. Like he never didn't because he was constantly pulling his hair out. Oh, yeah, he had like a compulsion where he couldn't stop. Poor baby. So anyway, Carrie in his later teens began acting inappropriately toward women. He well, that's odd. Yeah. And I don't know where this came from, but he exposed himself to one of his sister's friends. And then later it was mentioned that there was a strange contrast between Carrie and Steven because Steven, even though he'd been kidnapped, was popular and had a girlfriend while Carrie, who got to stay with his parents, was a loner and was seen as creepy by his peers. Okay, so Steven in school is popular and has a girlfriend and is like going about life like... Normal. Like grand. a normal teen. And the other one who's... But his brother's disappeared and his parents are completely shocked. But he's still... Where does the exposing himself to girls come from? Don't know yet. That's weird. Yeah. So now it's 1979. Parnell still has Carrie... Or still has Stephen. Uh-huh. And he moved to a small coastal town called Manchester, California. Okay. So it's not quite right on the coast. It's just, you know, in the coastal area. I've never heard of Manchester. I hadn't either. Um, again, like, Parnell was... He favored really small towns, like, where nobody... Oh, I'm yeah. sure... Because that would be just much more convenient for trying to do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Is he assaulting this boy at any point? Um, the, so that's all that's been alleged and probably pretty much confirmed, but it's not really spoken. It, it wasn't really like. But despite that possibility, this boy is still popular and has girlfriends and is, has friends. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So. Parnell, oh, so they moved to Manchester. Okay. And by this time, Stephen was 14, which meant he was no longer prepubescent. So Parnell decided to look for another boy. Lost interest. Yeah. And Stephen pretty much decided that he knew what was going to happen and that it was wrong and he was going to try to end it. Huh? So he knew that what happened to him was going to happen to somebody else. So he oh, was. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he didn't want that to happen to another kid. Yes. Okay. So, it's February of 1980. Parnell was back to his previous MO. Even though he's happy, he knows that it's wrong that they took him. I don't know that he's happy. Well, no, but he's adjusted-ish, quote-unquote, adjusted, according to what you measure that by as a school administrator person looking on the outside. Yeah. Ow. That was my knee. Yeah, that was Sorry. So anyway, Parnell goes back to his previous MO. He um, he recruited this local high school kid to ride with him to Ukiah, which is another coastal town in yeah. California. Yeah. And so he put this kid out onto the street to look for a boy. And the boy, the kid found this five-year-old named Timothy White who was walking home from school alone. How does he find guys that are willing to help him kidnap kids? don't know because like again it goes back to the conversation like hey can you grab a 
boy for me like yeah how I don't understand how that conversation goes how do you know who to approach because if you approach the wrong guy you're gonna go to prison yeah yeah well this was a high school kid so I don't know I mean but anyway so Parnell ended up kidnapping Timothy White and he'd had him for about two weeks and Stephen realized that he could not let this boy go through what he'd been through So when Parnell went to work, Stephen took Timmy out of the house. They hitchhiked to Ukiah, and Stephen was going to return him to his family. But Timmy couldn't remember where he lived. So he took Timmy to the police station. Yeah. And this is where Stephen was quoted, the very famous quote saying, I know my first name is Stephen. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, so there was like a movie, a book, like everything. I remember now. Yeah. So after this, Stephen became a national hero because he returned this boy to his family. Yeah. And he had been, you know, a victim this whole time himself. Yeah. So pretty much everyone thought that he was dead and had given up and he wasn't. So he became like kind of a star in his own right. And he was on all these TV interviews and his parents were with him. And there was this press conference in front of the Stainer home. So everyone's there, like the whole family's behind him. I'm remembering this now. Yeah. So they're all smiling. They're all excited. Except for if you look in the back, you can see Carrie, who is standing there with this blank look on his face. Okay. My question right now, did they ever go back and look at Carrie's medical history? Did he have a head injury? That I don't know. Wouldn't that be interesting to find out though? Yeah, it would be. It really would be. But yeah, I don't have that information. But um, yeah, so anyway, Stephen ended up testifying against Parnell. Yay. So Parnell, he ended up was he ended up getting charged and sentenced for kidnapping and false imprisonment, but not for sexual abuse because there wasn't enough evidence to prove the sexual abuse. Um, he only got like seven years. Sick. Yeah. So he was eventually released on those charges. And... Pretty soon after, he abducted another child, and he got caught, sent to prison again, and then he died in 2008. Okay. I'm outraged right now. Yeah. I mean, not to excuse it at all, but it was the 80s, and those things were not taken as seriously as they are now. Yes, I guess that's true. They should have been, because you protect an innocent child, but... Holy crap. Dude, he's got, he's dude two, kidnapped two children. Two children. One of them he held for years. Years. And then, hi, go do it again. Yeah. The th- well, think, when did he die? Oh, eight. So. So that was a long time. Yeah, it was a long time. Ugh. Sick, 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 mm-hmm. sick, 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 sick. So back to Carrie. Okay. So Carrie graduates from high school, but he pretty much didn't have a plan. The only thing he really liked to do is he would drive up to Yosemite and go out into the woods and get high. Cool. That was his lifestyle. Yeah. That was kind of 80s lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. I imagine he had one of those, like, combs in his back pocket. Oh, for sure he had a comb in his back pocket. Yeah. Um, when he- I was in school, we had the park rats. And they were the, the people that stayed, like, right off campus. And they were in the park. And so they could smoke cigarettes in the park. We didn't really have that campus. per se because my high school, everyone kind of just did what they did and the teachers didn't care. But the other high school in town, they had the tree people. <laughs> I love park rats, tree people. Yeah. Ours was just like <laughs> the people just did it and nobody 
Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Okay, anyway. So anyway, while in Yosemite, uh, Carrie was convinced that he had seen Bigfoot. And of course. This was like a momentous thing in his life. He told everybody about his Bigfoot sighting. Bigfoot. So then a few years later, at the age of 24, tragically, Stephen was killed in a motorcycle accident. That is what I remember the most. Yeah. So he, by this time, he had a wife and children. At, at 24? At 24, yeah. So he actually truly did have a fairly normal life despite all that happened to Ish, him. Ish, the fact yeah. that he had wife and kids by 24. I guess by that time, at that age, it was not, at that time, it was not that big of a deal to have kids at that age. Yeah, but for what happened to him, I mean, he was married, he had children, he had a job. That's normal-ish. Like, he did all the normal stuff. Yeah. So then not- And motorcycles were hot then. They were, they were. So not long after Stephen died, Carrie, who lived with his uncle- um, had another tragic happenstance. So Carrie's uncle was shot and killed in the home that they lived in. By who? Why? Don't have that. But anyway, that caused... So he's living with his uncle and his uncle is shot. And killed in their home. That's crazy. I feel like drugs might have been involved, but I don't know that. Probably. So. That would be my guess. But that's this kid's had a lot. A lot. So, anyway, he's got this... But, yeah, there's for sure drugs there. Yeah, this rage is, like, just out of control for him. Yeah. Carrie ended up having a couple of nervous breakdowns. I would not be surprised by that. Yeah, one of them was really, really violent. It happened at work, and he ended up being admitted to mental health, but he left. Like, apparently they just let him check himself out. Yeah. So, then Carrie began having dreams about killing women. Okay, what is this thing with women? I mean, he's exposing himself to women. Now he's having dreams about killing women. What did women do to him? He's obviously got some very troubling things happening. Oh, for sure. But typically there's like a catalyst for that, right? I mean, not that he didn't have any catalysts, but they were all male related. We don't know. We don't know. I know. It's just, it it strikes me as odd. It's an odd twist to the story. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so Carrie ended up going up to Yosemite and he got a job as a handyman at the Cedar Lodge, which is like... He's in Yosemite or Yellowstone? Yosemite. Okay. Yeah. So he gets a job at the Cedar Lodge, which is like just outside of the park boundaries. And it was like a pretty popular place for tourists. So there was a woman there who worked in the restaurant at the Cedar Lodge. And she had been complaining that Carrie was staring inappropriately at her teenage daughter. But all the other coworkers, including all the females, said they, were, they didn't have any issues with Carrie and they thought he was great. Interesting. So 1999, moving right along, it's February. Carrie had been working at the Cedar Lodge for about two years. And it's wintertime in Yosemite, so there's not a lot not of a lot to tourists. Yeah. yeah. But those among those who did visit were Carol Sund. Her daughter, Julie, and a family friend, Sylvina Peloso. So he seems to be okay with women his own age. It's younger women. It seems like that, yeah. So anyway, the three were on a trip. They were they wanted to see Yosemite, but they also were there to look at colleges. Okay. And Sylvina was from Argentina, so the sons wanted to take her to see one of the most beautiful places in the U.S. So they're at Yosemite. It's wintertime. Yeah. They, they stayed at Cedar Lodge. And their room was near the end of the lot. It was in a corner away from the lobby in the restaurant. And most of the other guests had already gone home for the week. 
that's yeah. So by this time, Carrie had made up his mind that he was going to kill. How do you make up your mind? I'm going to kill. I don't know. That's insane. That's an insane thought. So Carrie noticed this red car. It was parked all by itself at the end of the hotel complex. Uh And he could see inside of the guest room and he saw Carol, Julie, and Sylvina. The curtain and the windows were open so he could see the three females, but he also was able to see that there was not a man that was staying in the room. So he knocked on the door and he's like, hi, I'm from maintenance, which he was from maintenance. But he lied and he said, there's a leak in the room above you and I need to come in and I need to look and see if it's made its way down to Right. So he goes into the bathroom and he said that that's... But there's three of them, right? Yeah. So he goes in the bathroom and pretends to look at the like vent hood thing up there. And he's like, yeah, this is where the leak would be. And he like spends some time in there. And when he comes out, he has a gun. And so he basically got the two teens into the bathroom, locked them in there, and then he strangled Carol. So mom is outside and the kids are in the bathroom with him. No, the he's out of the bathroom. He locks the girls in the bathroom and then he strangles Carol just in mom. the room. Yeah, mom. Okay. Yeah. So and then he puts her in the trunk of their car, Carol's car. Okay. So then... Girls can hear this, I'm assuming. I'm assuming, too. Yeah, it's it's a tiny hotel room. Yeah. So he sexually assaults both of the girls, but Sylvina... How does he do that? Leave one... He's got to leave one in the bathroom. He had to leave one in the bathroom. Um, Sylvina, I guess, like, resisted, like, to the umpteenth. So, anyway, he ended up strangling her, and he puts her in the car. So then Julie... So he get in a pile. Yeah. So he takes Julie and puts her in the bathroom of the room next door for some reason. I don't know why he felt like he had to go to the room next door, but he does. And he does whatever he does in the room. I don't know if he cleans it or whatever, but uh-huh. around 5 a.m. he takes Julie out of the car. She's alive, but they, she has what? her hands bound. So he put her back in the car? He put her in the car, like in the front seat with, her, with him. But this is the same... Ch- girl that he put in the room next door yeah okay so now so then he somehow put her in the car yes the okay. two deceased women are trunk in the trunk got julie it. is alive she's in the in the car and she's got a blanket wrapped around her and sh- her hands are duct taped okay so he starts driving uh-huh but he says like he admits that he at this point he had no plan but anyway how do you plan for that yeah it's he's a little impulsive but so anyway that morning um carol and the girls were supposed to meet carol's husband at the airport in san francisco so they didn't arrive obviously and when they didn't arrive he called the police his main concern is that they might have like crashed their car or something because that's of those, what you think yeah the winter weather and like the you know they're not used to driving in mountainous snow yeah. and that kind of stuff you don't think murder freako murder yeah so the police started a search and as they were searching um one of the people they did talk to was carrie stainer because he they literally talked to him yeah they talked to him because he worked at the hotel and there wasn't that many people working there this time of year so they talked to everybody um and then they they ended up finding the car this is like days later so when they found the car with the bodies when they found the car 
It had been burned, and they found the two bodies in the trunk of the car, but there was no sign of the third person, which was, oh, we know it's Julie, but they right. didn't know. They also found... they just found bodies. They didn't know who was who. They didn't know who was who at, the, at right. that point in time. Right. But they found a camera, and they were able to develop the film, and so that turned out to be some good evidence. That's crazy. Yeah. He took pictures? No, he didn't take pictures. It was all their pictures that they had taken, but there was one from that night that, where they could see. that. Like That's how they were able to decide who was who. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But so, yeah, they still didn't know where Julie was. So they continued their search, and they were hoping that maybe she was possibly being held somewhere. Uh-huh. But in March, later that, you know, later, months later, the FBI got a letter, and the letter had this hand-drawn map. It was, like, drawn on, like, just regular, like, school, like, lined paper. Okay, but you said months later? Yeah. Well, it was, like, a month later. Okay. Still, that's a long time. Yeah. So, because, yeah, the killing happened in February, and this is in March. Okay, but it so was it's late March. Okay, hand-drawn on school paper. And there was this map, and there was these the words that read, We had fun with this one. Ew. So, so they were able to tell by the map that the location was about 40 miles away from where the car was found, and it was near the Don Pedro Reservoir. So they did a search. They brought cadaver dogs and they immediately, like within, they said within like 10 seconds, found Julie's body with the dogs. So those dogs are amazing. mm -hmm. And apparently the map was pretty decent. (laughs) So he drew a map. Yeah. Come find it here. Mm hmm. Oh my goodness. Not very smart. Yeah. So then. The FBI ended up arresting Eugene Dykes and Michael Larwick, which were, they were half-brothers, and they were arrested for the murders of Carol, Julie, okay, and Sylvina. Okay, but what did they have to do with anything? They, they got arrested for the murders. Well, why? What evidence they, led them to them? The FBI thought they had evidence, but obviously we know differently now. But anyway, so I don't have, I didn't find all the details on that, because I knew that it was not them. Yeah. So five months later, Yosemite was kind of back to normal. People were just like, you know, okay, that's sad that happened, but tourists were back. Because it's vacation. Yeah. And it's summertime now, so Carrie was still living and working at Cedar Lodge and pretty much had gotten away with the murders. So in the summer of 1999... Joey Armstrong was a woman who was living at Yosemite. She was a naturalist. She did, like, this children's program to acquaint children with nature and, like, natural... Now, these are the ones that we've heard of. I've heard of all of them. I know, you have, but yeah. But I remember. Joey was living in this small cabin, and it was owned by the Forest Service, and her group that she worked for rented it for, like, a dollar a year. So she was able to live there um, on the grounds of Yosemite itself. That's... Pretty cool. It's pretty cool, yeah. Me and the in-laws and the kids went to Yellowstone two summers ago, and it was just the, the like, people that got to work there and live there, like, I want to do this for a summer. I know. Just looks so fun. I know. I don't want to do there with the murderer dude, but, you know, just in general, with normal people. So anyway, from the Cedar Lodge where Carrie was living... There was this road that not that many people knew about that took you into Yosemite. And at the end of that road was the cabin where Joey was living. 
Okay. So Carrie knew about this road. He drove it regularly, and it was near the area where he first saw Bigfoot. And he was like... Obs- first saw Bigfoot. Yeah, he was obsessed with his Bigfoot sighting. First saw Bigfoot. So he went out there all the time. Have you seen the... This is our family stickers of the Bigfoot? Yeah. There's like two or three families here that have those. And it's like, oh really? Gosh. Really? <laughs> Well, they would probably be interested in Carrie's they story. Might. <laughs> he was super obsessed with it. He told everyone. But anyway, he went out there all the time to look around. And one time he was out there and he saw Joey outside of the cabin. Right. And at and this point, yeah, he wasn't really like at this point looking for an opportunity, but it pretty much just presented itself to him. So he went back to his truck and he grabbed his backpack Containing a gun, a knife, some duct tape, you know, basic murder kit. Murder kit. Murder kit. Yeah. Absolutely murder kit. Where did he get a gun? He had he had a gun. It's the 80s. Or, well, it's the 90s now. Yeah, I guess. But he had a gun. So anyway, he um, went up to Joey and he was talking to her and, about his Bigfoot sighting. And he, you know, was obviously very enthusiastic yeah. about it. Hey, I saw Bigfoot. How about you? It was right over Ooh. here. And the whole time... All the while, while he was talking to her, he was scanning the rest of the cabin to see if he could see if anybody, anybody else was else there. Anybody else was there. Yeah. Scars ball. Watch so, people's eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Once he knew that she was alone, he um, used his gun and guided her back to the cabin. And he bound her with duct tape that um, he had brought. But she fought back and he was like not even able to really contain her. Oh, wow. But he Tough was. Chick. Yeah. He put her in the car. And drove away anyway. And so then, like, the next day, Joey had been packing for this trip with friends. So when Joey didn't show up, they called the police. And they searched the cabin. They found signs of a struggle. They found some debris. And then in a wider search, in a stream near the cabin, they found Joey's body. And she had been decapitated. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That is some effort right there. Yeah. So... Unfortunately for Carrie, he left behind, like, tons of evidence. Well, because I don't think he's very, like, with it. He, I think he kind of was initially, like, with the whole, like, Julie and Carol thing. I would argue he got lucky there. Um, But with this one, he knew that he did it and that he left a ton of evidence. So he was aware of the fact that he was leaving Yes, he was aware that he left it. But I'll get to that in a little bit. So he doesn't care. He cared. He just... I'll just go into it now. Okay, sorry. Anyway. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No. Joey, tell your story. Joey fought so hard uh-huh. that it left him with no choice but to get her... Like, in his mind, there was no choice but to get her out of there and get rid of her. Like, to the point where he was driving along the road and she's bound. Uh-huh. She jumped out of the car to get away. Right. So that's where they found her because he ended up chasing her down because she's bound, so she can't. Yeah. And that he killed her near the stream where she was found. But she's fighting so hard, she's going to keep going. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. So I think that if it would have been easier, if she would have been compliant or more scared or whatever. Which you think the others may have been? Yeah, I think they were. Okay. That he wouldn't have left what he left. However. Well, what did he leave? Um, I have that somewhere. I'll, f- I'll find it when okay, I find sorry. it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so when he left, he had this blue and white international scout. That's what he drove. 
Okay. And this is 1999. Cool car. Yeah, cool car, but not very many of them. No. So anyway, a witness at the time of Joey's murder had seen that car on the road near her house. And they also had tire tracks that corresponded to that car. Because not many tires are going to fit that yeah. car. So at this point... They didn't know that it was Carrie. Honestly, the FBI was just like, well, let's try to talk to him and see if he knows anything. But I can't believe they got... The, I'm assuming it's because it was a federal park that they got the FBI involved so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's... Because that's some, you know, badass shit. They're going to take care of it. They're going to fix it. They, and they didn't even think at all by this point that Joey's murder was even connected to the others. Oh, I'm sure. But, but a lot of people in the community the did. Yeah. And the car model and the, you know, they're going to, I don't know, they're just, they're going to dial it in. Yeah, they're going to dial it in. But at this point, they still have no idea. They're, they think it's an isolated murder and that Carrie was probably a witness or maybe knows something. So they're like, hey, let's go find him and talk to him. But anyway, the key to this whole, like, resolution of this story lies in this resort about two hours from Yosemite. And I'm going to tell you my story about this resort. Okay. So it's called Laguna del Sol. Laguna del Sol! Do you know it? No. Okay. It just seems cool. I've never been to Yosemite. It, I've been to yeah. Yellowstone, but not Yosemite. So this is, Yosemite. this is, like, in the... Um, in the Sierras, like, north of Yosemite. Okay. And so I'll tell you my Whole Foods story. So <laughs> we don't have a Whole Foods up here. Seriously? There's not one anywhere? Well, no, not in our town. What about that place with, like, the triangle thing? Isn't that a Whole Foods? No, that's natural foods. Yeah, a different okay. place. Anyway, so I'm in Roseville for work. Okay. Roseville, California, which is near Sacramento. Yeah. And so the place where we like to go shop and eat and stuff like that, there's a Whole Foods in that complex. Right. And so I'm there for a few days and I have like a little kitchenette in my hotel and I'm like, I'm going to go to Whole Foods and I'm going to, you know, like grab some stuff and put it in my room and I'll have it for a few days. So I go in there and I'm like shopping around with my little basket, grab some food, and then I go over to the beer aisle as you would. Absolutely. If and you're going to be somewhere for work for a few days, you're going to have beer in the hotel room. Yes. So I'm perusing their wide selection of beers, which is actually fairly impressive, and reading what they have and going like, you know, what, what sounds good? What have I not had? And I strike up this conversation with this couple. Okay. And it was like, they were about maybe like slightly older than me. I know this is not at the time of the murders, because at the time of the murders, you and I were working together. Yeah, this is not at the time of the murders. This is, like, just a few years ago. Okay. So I strike up this couple with these people. and Convo with the people. Yeah, and we're talking about beer, and then, you know, we talk about other stuff. And somehow I mentioned that, you know, I'm a swimmer, and the man is like, oh, I was also a swimmer. So we tar- start talking swimming stuff, and the wife is super nice. Like, we're just, like, you know, we're hitting it off. Okay, and, I'm, like, super excited for this story. Yeah, so then... They're like, oh, well, have you heard of Laguna del Sol? Uh-huh. And I'm like, no, I haven't. And they're like, oh, the, you know, we are we go up there. Like, we frequent it. It's a really cool place. Laguna oh, of the Sun, right? Lake of the Sun, Lake yeah. Lake of the Sun, okay. They made me memorize the name because they really wanted me to visit. 
Turns out it's a nudist colony. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And they're like, do you want to come visit? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I am in town for you work. You got hit on in the beer aisle of natural foods. By nudists. By they, yes, they hit on you. Yeah. They they saw you and they like you what they saw. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> mm, I'm in town for work. I really can't, but I'm intrigued because like they seem so cool. Like, were you aware that it was nudist at the point? Yeah. By that point, I was. Oh, and you were still intrigued. Okay. A little, like I mean, not enough to actually go. Like I would never do that. But I mean, I could be. Yeah. I could be persuaded. And I'm a freak. So anyway. Yeah, that's my Whole food story. Okay, what did they have to do with the other the people, though? Well, so Carrie Stainer ended up at Laguna del Sol. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought they were going to be somehow related to the story. I wish they blah. were. I wish they I were. It would be way more exciting. I know. So anyway, they the Laguna del Sol has, like... That's where they caught him? They have, like, cabins where you can stay there, oh. or they have, like, um, trailer spaces or camp spots, and, like, there's a restaurant and a pool. It's, like, a really nice, like, resort area. Yeah. So Carrie ends up staying in a tent in the campground, but he would eat and drink at the restaurant bar, because, like, where else are you going to go? Right. So, but he kept his clothes on. Yeah, he did. Um, and I have a funny thing about that later. <laughs> So he met this woman, he like strikes up this conversation with her, you know, just like a friendly thing. Like it wasn't creepy at all. Like yeah. the woman even said like she didn't feel creeped out. But anyway, she's, she goes home or she goes back to her like resort room or whatever. So anyway, there was this bolo out for Stainer, but the woman, she like realized that she had met him. Uh-huh. So she calls the FBI. Good. Yeah. So the FBI decide to go to Laguna del Sol thinking that maybe he would still be there. But remember, at this point, they only want to talk to him as a witness. Right. They, but he doesn't know that. Right. But, like, the several of the agents, because they came from different areas, uh-huh. several of them didn't even know about the murder at all. So they just all assemble at this point. Like, there's, like, these three agents... Okay, but why are the agents there if they don't know about the murder? Well, one of them does. But they he needs help from his other FBI people. Because, like, the Merced okay. area is different from... So he's calling them, but he doesn't say, hey, I need your help with a murder? No, he's he just like... He says, hey, come help me? I need help with a witness. Oh, I need help with a witness. Yeah, because, like, the guy... F- but how do they know what to ask him then? They're not going to ask him. They just need to get him. And then hold him until they can get yeah. him to them. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah, so, anyway... They arrive at Laguna del Sol and they go talk to the manager and they're like, hey, do you know who Carrie Stainer is? And the manager's like, yeah, he's at the bar right now and you should be able to identify him because he's the only one wearing clothes. (laughs) Which I thought was hilarious. Uh, Yes, apparently so do I. As you can tell by my hideous laugh. So they walk into the restaurant and obviously they're FBI. Like you can't mistake them. Carrie stands up and he puts his hands up. He just immediately, bam. Yeah. yeah. So they, they get him, they detain him and they put him in the car with this one agent. Um, Jeff Rennick was his name. Uh huh. And they just put him in the front seat. And as I kind of stated, he's just a witness. Yeah. The agent had no idea that Carrie was potentially like involved in a murder. Okay. But how do they not question that when they walk up and he goes, dude, and throws his hands up. 
I don't, How do they not say, maybe he has more to do with this? I feel like because they all kind of like work in this little like worker ant kind of thing where... I don't know. If I walked up to say, hi, how are you? I'd like to talk about this. Mm. And that is he in didn't my even, brain. He didn't even say I'd like... Right. Because he wasn't supposed to talk to Carrie. He was just supposed to get him to Sacramento. But that's what's in my brain. Like, I'm just going to talk to you. I'm going to have a conversation with you about this thing. But he wasn't even there to talk to him. He was just like to get him and take him to Sacramento. So to me, that's even more. And then this dude goes, throws his hands and says, hey... But how do you not be like, there's more to this? I don't, I think that the, I think the agent probably thought there was, but he didn't have any direction that there would be. Right. And I understand no direction there would be, but just natural instinct, natural, like self-preservation, put him in the back where you can watch him through the rear view or something. I don't know. Well, anyway, he ended up being fine with that, but okay. So I'm glad it was fine. Yeah. So Agent Agent Rennick is kind of a cool guy. So like he was known for like just having this easy quality where he would be able to get people to talk about things. Yeah. So he talks Good to Carrie. To have. Yeah, he talks to Carrie, finds out Carrie's name, like, oh, your last name is Stainer. Are is there any relation to Steven Stainer? Because he no knew that case. Freaking way. Yeah. So then Carrie, after never really having any like emotions about this at all before starts talking about that he was steven's brother but it's never been like he's never had a happy life like even after steven was rescued and like kind of starts pouring his guts out yeah so then carrie asks agent rennick do you think it's fair that steven was held captive for seven years and his abductor only got seven years in prison and just got like super emotional and throughout the drive, they were able to, like, bond on... Whoa. Yeah. Not only on this, but there was a movie. And I didn't write the name of the movie down because I hadn't heard of it. Because it was, like, this old Western. But um, he asked Carrie, like, do you know this movie? Because it uh. was Agent Rennick's, like, one of his favorite movies. And Carrie's like, no. So when they arrived at the FBI office... Carrie turned to Agent Rennick and said, like, a famous line from that movie to him. So he knew it. He knew it, yeah. And But, like, what a crazy... Just to get, like, real, real yeah. in a drive. It was, like, a two-hour drive. And so. then turns out it's a freaking killer. Mm-hmm. And then... But when they walked into the offices in Sacramento, they were both laughing. Because... So you kind of bonded with this dude. Yeah. He's kind of your friend. Yeah. So... You know, weird work way yeah because they had this obscure movie in common for some weird oh. reason yeah and so then they put him in the room that they're going to talk to him in like an interview room and they did, still at this point they didn't know that carrie was someone that they were going to need to interrogate they just thought like he's this witness still so they ordered pizza for all of them oh my goodness so then out of the blue, like, while... Is he not freaking out, though? Yeah, he is. Because Carrie all of a sudden looked at them and says, I can give you closure. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. So then he began confessing to Joey's murder, and then he told him he could tell them even more. And... So they just thought they just had a witness. We're just going to find out who saw what. Mm-hmm. Let's hang out. Let's have fun. Here's some pizza. Let's dinner. 
boom. Yeah. Here, th- behind that door had to be some crazy conversations. Well, so one of the other agents said that if it hadn't been for Agent Rennick and him bonding over Steven during this car ride, Joe, the confession about Joey's murder probably never would have happened. May not have happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So then Carrie said that he would tell the FBI so much more, but only if they would provide him with kitty porn. Um, no. So the FBI, all of a sudden, that's when these backdoor <sighs> conversations started happening because they knew yeah. they couldn't provide him with kitty porn because that's not something that they do. But why in the way, what makes you think that you can say, hey, you know, I've got some things. I did some things. Here's some things. I'll give you more things. You let me go have some fun with some kitty porn. Yeah. What the hell? They're not going to do that. You do not get to have your They your can't kicks. do that. You do not get to have your kicks in the interrogation room. I know. So anyway, but at this point, oh my. they were afraid that they weren't going to get the rest out of him. But then Agent Rennick went in again, talked to him, and convinced him to continue talking. Like, he was just basically like, you you know, you've told me so much. Like, you've gotten it off your shoulders. Like, tell me the rest. So then he goes he goes ahead and he confesses to the murders of Carol Sund, Julie, and Sylvina Peloso. And they were actually kind of blown away because they had no idea. No like They were just like, we put someone away from, two people away from murder for that. And they'd already convicted someone. Yeah, two people. Yeah. What the hell did those people get? I didn't look that up, but that would be interesting to know. Yes. Because you can't, I mean, that's. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's actually, that makes me want to know now. I I want to know. Yeah. So Stainer was, he was sentenced to death. He's in San Quentin now. He's 57 years old and he's on death row. And he's still there. Yeah. And that's my story of soul. The roundabout way that I got to Seoul. From the resort From the resort name and a kidnapping (laughs) and my trip to Whole Foods and Yosemite. Oh my goodness. So I remember that story. I did obviously didn't know all the details. Um, Crazy. And I cannot believe they convicted other people for that Mm -hmm. murder. I should have looked up what happened. Yeah, I'm really curious what if you look it up. Email us and tell us what happened to them, because I'm curious what happened to them. Yeah. As far as, you know, I don't know, there's just so many different ways that the justice system can go in when that happens. And this story, like, because, you know, it was during a time where I remembered quite a bit of the facts, but I was like, Oh, I already know about this story. It's boring. And then I started looking into it. And I'm like, it's not it's boring. It's not. Yes. Yeah. All these stories that we, we, because we heard cursory details, just tiny little snippets of them as we were going about our lives. But we were going about our lives. Like a previous story that you were talking about, something about January 2006. And I'm like, okay, in January 2006, I was barely pregnant with child number one. And I was, my main concern was, wow, is this going to continue? And all I was focused on was maintaining the pregnancy and making sure everything was okay. Whereas this other person was going in another part of the world was going through this whole other crazy Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. 
don't know. Just Especially was, like this, like it's a high profile thing. So we I'm like, all heard about yeah, it. Yeah, we all heard. That's how I, and I was just like, ah, we all know about that. But do we? No, because I thought I did. And then you were like, no, you don't know. And I didn't know. Yeah. I thought he was killed instantly. That's because we're not experts. Because we're just drunks. Yeah. Hey, so if you like us, you can always... Let us know. Uh, rate, review, any podcast catcher or whatever you call them that you listen to us on. Leave us a rating and a review. It would really help. Yeah, and if you have any comments or suggestions, email oh. us at crimeandtimeotr at gmail.com. Cocktail suggestions. Send us cocktail suggestions. That would be fun. Yeah, we've been, get, we've been getting a lot, and we love them, but keep them coming. Yeah. Another way to get a hold of us at for Twitter is at Time and Crime. Yeah, Instagram, we're also at Crime and Time. And check out our Facebook page. We always post little hints of the cocktail that's coming up and just fun little things. And that is Crime and Time on the Rocks or at Crime and Time OTR. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know. Cheers. Thank you for listening.